Andy. Hi, Eric. Hey, man. Welcome to season three of the fucking Rad Snowboard Podcast. Okay, perfect. One second, please. Hi, this is Sean. I'm not here right now. You have reached Mike. Hi, this is Jim. Leave me a message, and I will call you back as soon as I can. Hi, you've reached Jeremy Jones. Yeah, I'm going to call you back in ten. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> hey, listeners. Welcome back to the F and Rad Snowboarding Podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome to the podcast where we talk to interesting snowboarders. This week's guest has been mentioned by a lot of guys in the past. Past guests Sean Palmer and Sean Sullivan both mentioned that he is still the current world snowboarding mogul champion. That title's frozen in time because they've taken moguls off the World Cup. And I would say pretty much everybody's forgotten about a time where there was a world mogul champion, but not everyone. Yeah, and you know what? Quite frankly, I I should have kicked his ass. Fuck Andy. No, I love that guy. But I was always second to Andy. Every contest, I mean, if you actually could pull up contest results from back then, I, yeah. I would have placed number two behind Andy Hetzel like a dozen times. That's future guest and Canadian snowboarding royalty Alex Warburton. Andy Hetzel's pro career spanned a dozen years or so and featured countless magazine and video appearances. We reached Andy at his house in Cardiff, California. You're a realtor now, is that right? Yep. I've been doing it like 12 long years. Yeah, you're in Vancouver. Yeah, I'm in Vancouver. Where are you at? Southern Cal or North? I'm in Cardiff, Southern Cal. Do you still shred down there? Not much down here. We usually go to Utah, Tahoe, you know, hopefully Baker. Yeah, nice. Oh, yeah. Like Tahoe was, they had four years of shitty seasons. And then last year was epic, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, last year was nonstop. That's so good. You know, the first time I snowboarded was, God, it was probably like third or fourth grade. Or it wasn't snowboarding, it was a snurfer. And at that point, I lived on the East Coast in Connecticut. And it was just basic, you know, going down like a small golf course hill. But that, that's like my first memory of standing up on a board. It was like a yellow, wasn't like the nice wood one. I think they made yellow ones, plastic ones back then. And that was, like, my first skateboard, too. I remember, like, having a plastic penny-style skateboard. Um, but my actual first snowboard was, like, a Burton Performer Elite. That must have been in 84, right around there. I think it was 8th eighth, eighth or ninth grade. And then I lived in Tucson, Arizona, and uh, rode that up at Mount Lemon, which is just a little ski area outside of Tucson. Or, it, you know, it's not, it would snow up there. Or my parents would take us up to northern Arizona and we'd go hike around. I remember that thing blew out pretty quick and I actually sent it back and got another one. But uh, my bindings might have ripped out. You know, they had like those real cheesy red ones that uh, pulled out pretty quick. Because yeah. I grew up skateboarding out there like all through high school and that. So me and my couple of my skate buddies would drive up to Mount Lemon and a couple of uh, Mexican guys we hung out with, we'd all go up there and like party and hike, and, and it would be like a foot or two of snow on top of rocks. But you know that was a uh, that was it. Were you a vert skater or just an all around skater? I like started skating what street, but uh, you know I really was into skating vert. Like learned how to skate transitions in an empty swimming pool, and, and then we had a pretty sick uh, 
vert ramp down there, like a local small vert ramp and a cool scene. It's called the Fallout Ramp. And, you know, that's where I started going to punk rock shows and what I consider, you know, like true punk rock, like the big boys, TSOL, Minor Threat, back, you know, back then. And then they would actually come to come to Tucson. So that was definitely some highlights in my life. Growing up, learning that skate route, listening to punk rock. Brad, you must have moved to California at some point because I picture you with, you know, that early Tahoe crew. Yeah, actually, I had a couple of my friends when I was in Arizona, graduated, about to graduate, and had a plan to move to Breckenridge, you know, out of high school. All my buddies bailed on me, so I ended up just driving up there by myself and took all my shit, got a hotel for a couple of days and found a room and, and ended up being a lift attendant at Breck. Uh, probably 87, 88. And I kind of wish I would have gone straight to Tahoe because it's fucking Breck sucks. The mountain itself. Not that they got elevation, but the terrain is just the worst out there. And I mean, it could snow for a week and snow like an inch. But uh, the one good thing was the crew up there was pretty rad. Like, the farm was up there. Jim Hale, Brad Reeser, Zach Bing, and like the Snowboard of the Rockies guys. And some other, I think Mike Hatchett lived out there right around then or maybe the next year. But that, you know, I didn't really know anybody. I didn't know much, you know, about snowboarding. I just knew I wanted to go. And it was still pretty, you know, the boards are still pretty crappy. Yeah, when did you get on Kemper? Kemper, I think, was about 89. Were you still in Breck at that time? Yeah, I think I did three seasons in Breck. Two in Breck and one in Frisco, which is right there. You know, those early years at Brack and Meat and Farm. I mean, he was just freaking just about as classic as he gets. A leather jacket, wearing hard boots, and riding a bird safari. He had dreads back then that he uh, he wanted dreads, so he just epoxied them into his hair. He was at the shop and just freaking put some epoxy and made some dreads. But I remember him cruising around with his leather jacket at, at Copper. And looking back on that now, you know, we're all pretty out of control. And then that series was out there, the Rocky Mountain series, which maybe the biggest snowboarding series back then. So we'd travel all around, and I think that's probably in the amateurs. Yeah, who was winning, like, the the pro of, was that, like, a Craig-dominated thing? I mean, Craig, I don't know. You know, Craig might have came out for a couple. He was probably just out in Washington. But, uh, you know, Wendell was out there. Kevin Delaney, the Pappas brothers, Dowd. Cool. If you were decent, I was pretty fortunate and did pretty well. So I think I maybe did amateur for a year, and then it ended up going pro. But I mean, like those the list of names there, like Dowd and the Pappas brothers, those guys are so so classic. Just drinking and drugging and freaking snowboarding. It was a radical time for sure. We all raced back then, too. I'm not sure if you did that. You yeah. got any chance to win some money, you know, you would enter it. I can't even remember why I got sponsored by guys. I think the Worlds was coming up in Breckenridge, and that was back when they had, like, one world championship. Yep. I don't know if you remember, like, in the by the early 90s, they had, you know, went from one to, I mean, they had, like, 10 world championships. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got like a board from from Kemper, and, and then the next year did pretty well. And I think the second or third year of the World Championships out there, they actually had a decent pipe. You know, it was the first pipe that 
it wasn't like a ditch. And I think Palm probably, probably won that one. I ended up getting maybe third. Yeah. And, you know, Breck served its purpose. It was pretty rad back then. I wish I would have moved somewhere else, definitely. But it was a good time to be there. It was definitely one of the epicenters of where stuff was going on. That, that original Breck crew was pretty sick. Yeah, no doubt. So you're on Kemper for a couple of years, and then they gave you a pro model. Was that right after, you know, finishing third at the Worlds kind of thing? Honestly, I can't remember, like, exact. I can't even remember which my own first pro model was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to guess it was that Kemper. It might have been my skate truck graphic. Yeah, skate truck graphic. I think it was. Kemper was killing it at that time. That was one of the companies that they made really solid boards that rode really well, but something happened. They just got they got bought by someone or something. <laughs> the owners are always pretty much douchebags. Yeah, James Alter total fucking douchebag. <laughs> Dave Camper was kind of a nerdy Canadian guy. Yeah. I think a lot of people back then, or at least for me, you know, I was just like a, a barn from AZ coming to try and snowboard. You know, that's what I wanted to do. And if anybody was going to offer me some money to snowboard or to be pro or whatever, I was taking it. Never made great sponsorship decisions, I would say. That's for sure. But uh, at one point, Kemper had a like metal plate in there. I think it's aluminum plate. So you yeah. just drill your stance in so we would and back then i mean it was like 15 16 inch stances we'd always have this little song that you know drilling putting our stance in it was every stance is different every stance is great because i mean i was never a very techie i'd pretty much just throw them on there maybe a couple measurements drill them in i think they might have ran that for a year or two yeah. Those early years of Kemper, you know, our team was freaking huge. Yeah. The Dowd was on that. And George Pappas, you know, the Baskets, Shannon Melhews, JD. But, I mean, we freaking partied for that one. I remember we were at, in Breckenridge at the Worlds, and just our bar bills were just insane. And then you got, you know, George and Dowd on there and me drinking. It was pretty out of control, which kind of describes about the first 10 years of my possibly my whole snowboarding career <laughs> yeah i just watched your easy rider part again last night I oh just, yeah like because that was the tail end of the fall line film era and at that time they were still like a major player That's, fall line yeah. yeah and that scene with the train was like that was crazy footage even watching it last night like i i was nervous they did that one pretty well that one like the backstory that was with you know when i was riding for palmer Mm-hmm. And uh, I think uh, Jerry called Temple and told him there was like a train jump or something down in Tahoe. Temp, God, he must have been like 20, maybe a little older than, maybe younger. But he ended up calling me because he didn't want to go freaking do it by himself. And he flew down. I think we might even picked him up that day from the airport. I was down in San Diego because it was kind of springtime-ish. But we essentially drove up there. This local guy showed us the jump, and it was small, so we built it up a bit. Nothing compared to what they do today, but yeah, and then shambowed for it. We saw a couple trains coming by while we were building that. Temple lost that shambow and had to do the dry run to, you know, just to practice it. Came up short. Fortunately, he folded over like the snowbank instead of just straight dropping down. Oh, God. And then there's this, still this local guy who 
we're like, you should hit it, man. It's pretty big. It's, you go, no, I'm just waiting for the train, <laughs> waiting for the train. And, you know, it was decent size. I ended up like, I think I did it like a few times practicing and ended up catching my heel edge on the landing and just ate shit. And then we ended up sitting around for like an hour for the train. And that one that came was like a, I don't know, like a coal car, I would say. It didn't have the tops. All the other ones we saw, like if you came up short, you could probably bounce, bounce off the top at least and, and get spit into the snow. And those coal cars, I mean, you come up short, you're freaking going to Reno, beaten up, pretty bad, being broken. But then we, we ended up jumping, and then me and Temp were sitting down there, just, like, staring up, wondering if this local guy was going to come down. Fortunately, you know, I, I didn't know him. I didn't know how good a snowboarder he was or whatever, but fortunately, he didn't do it because, I mean, that would have been ugly if he would have crashed. And then I think, I know Temp, I think he was pretty much in and out of there, drove him down to Reno like it was a one-day banger for him. I was, That's a far way to go to jump that train. Yeah. I mean, it was a blessing. I can still picture, kind of remember Temp freaking calling me, saying, come meet me, because I don't want to do it by myself. Yeah, totally that, understand. That was the video part of the year that everyone was talking about. I remember when it came out, and I remember watching it over and over and being like, whoa. Had you jumped, like, the Baker Road Gap or anything like that before? No, I've never even hit the Baker Road Gap. I mean, I've hit some other gaps, but I was definitely try to most consequential i ended up jumping like a semi-truck for an mtv thing up at donner which was pretty gay you know they had like a stunt show or it was one of those one-offs where they had a show kind of like a extreme stunts or and then does someone come to you and say hey we've got this show do you want to make a thousand bucks tonight for that one i think sir you know my ex-wife she ended up saying i think it was maybe mtv who was doing it you know, hey, do you want to jump this semi for the show? I think I actually got paid like five grand or something. Ooh. And I think Rocket was like, I don't know, he got some money out of it and a couple others. But we ended up shooting it. And it was a pain in the ass. I think I sat the first one. So they had to back the semi down Donner Road and do it again. I think they might even have a heli going for that thing, too. Yeah, see, that's the heyday of snowboarding. I had no idea you were married to Cirs. Yep. Yeah, me and Cirs have a a daughter together so it's that we split custody of her half the time and she lives a thousand yards away oh right so, so you guys co-parent together still yeah we get along really well that's so important for the kids oh right? yeah obviously yeah yeah so when did you guys get married then 2000 and 2001 my daughter was born in 2001 yeah she plays soccer so we're hoping she's going to get a soccer scholarship so it's looking pretty good but as soon as she graduates high school, I'm heading back to the mountains. No, I, I originally moved down here. You know, I snowboarded so much, and I would come down here. You know, I lived in Breck. I started coming out here. I had some friends move here from Tucson, so I'd come stay with them. And then I moved to Utah for the winters. and would come out here for the summer and stay with these guys. So I've been coming out here a while and surfing and skating in the summers. But by, like, 2000, I was traveling so much that I eventually moved down here, and then I had to you know, got married and had my daughter, and then I ended up getting divorced, so I'm pretty locked in down here. So when she graduates, my parental obligation to be here, I can. I have another older daughter, and I have two little boys, too. Wow. I want to get those boys up in the mountains and 
me back to the to the snow. I still have a house in Tahoe, but didn't snow there for four years. That was until this year. That wasn't really a consideration. And it depends on how crowded it is. You know, where where I live down here, it's a lot of traffic, a lot of people. So Tahoe's getting pretty damn crowded too. So either Tahoe or you know, I'm not totally sure. We talked about Utah. You know, I used to live out there and ride the bird. I love that mountain, but I don't know if we want to live in Salt Lake. Yeah, Snowbird's probably my favorite. It's gorgeous. I'm going to interrupt here and tell you to buy stuff from the people who we like. Wired Snowboards makes amazing hand-built boards in my hometown, Vancouver, B.C. Rob Dow's been designing boards since 92 and has been involved with innovations like seamless edges and seamless sidewalls, and he's continuing to invent stuff at his very own factory. Rob's a passionate snowboard creator. Go to wiredsnowboards.com and buy the board you want. Design a custom board or choose from the wired shapes and then use the offer code FNRAD at checkout and you save 10%. And you support the podcast because when we sell 10 of these boards, we get a free board for next year. I want that. I've already been riding the 157 Directive, and Rob told me this week that my 162 Chase Series, which is a dedicated POW board with a swallowtail, is ready to roll. So I'm going to pick it up this week. Check out the boardroomshop.com. Boardroom is Vancouver's premier snowboarding shop. They ship to Canada and the United States. Use FNRAD10 as the offer code at checkout for regular priced items to save 10%, and FNRAD5 saves you 5% off anything that's on sale. Support these good guys. And now, back to the show. I go back and, I mean, Nick's totally bored parts. Yeah. He fucking stumps everything. Everything. And he was just a stomping machine. Yeah. Good skater. Proud of the great guy. Single-handedly. I mean, he was the king of Valdez up there for those early years. He was like the mayor. Mayor of Valdez. Anything you need. Andy and I got on the topic of the crew that he rode with. Snowboarders like Sean Palmer, Terry Kidwell, Salaznik, Roach, and Rankwit. I love Roach and Ranky. Both mm-hmm. making really good snowboarders. Good people. Yeah. But yeah, they probably were just kind of like, didn't do great. I mean, a lot of it for me was, I mean, I think a lot of it for a lot of people was trying to win some money, you know, keep your sponsors going. But those guys kind of carved out, you know, st- maybe started that niche of just buttering and freestyle right. and all that. You guys were in it too when the judging was so wacky. I remember hearing about Palmer and Brushy switching gear and Palmer scored higher as Brushy. <laughs> yeah, where was that? I feel like that was at like a U.S. Open even. Yeah, I kind of want to say it was a U.S. Open. I did some free ride stuff for a few years with Tom and Temple, and it can be challenging. Maybe a little easier on the free ride, and then I think I judged the half pipe too. I don't quite remember. I'm sure the judging was always I'm pretty fucked up, especially like in those. You know, they had the World Cup back then in the kind of mid '90s that traveled all around. You know, they had like a few Euro judges, a couple Americans, and whatever. I'm sure Palm got docked a little bit for just being an asshole in general, cocky asshole. But. Yeah. See, Terry did the same thing as Palm. They go to these contests where guys were doing these dinky little technical tricks just barely above the lip, and then they'd go, This pipe sucks, and hit it three big hits, so much bigger and so much more style than everyone yeah. else, and then not win. Yeah. And be like, flip off the judges and say, okay, well, whatever. Yeah, it's competing for you. Yeah. Did you ride with Kurt Heine too? Oh yeah, he's an old camper guy, mini truck, mullet, Oakley blade. God, he's 
his, his old shots are so classic. So amazing, dude. Yeah, see, you if you go back and look at shots of you from that era, you already had style. Like, you don't have, like, mullet shots and <laughs> Oakley blades. And... No, fuck, I had to wear some neon stuff for Trumper early on. It's pretty horrible. Oh, yeah, they had those sunny suits. Oh, yeah, that was embarrassing. Well, I always look back on my career and just go like, what the, f-? I, you know, I just wasn't thinking about my sponsors. I did ride for like Pirate Surf once, which was a subsidiary of Quicksilver that was pretty cool stuff. But then, you know, some of my other clothing or boots or board sponsors. Palm was decent, but, you know, in the end, it turned out that, you know, it wasn't down. I, am, I rode for Lamar, which, you know, our, our team was killer. And Kevin and Jimmy on the team, and that yeah. was pretty sick. But the company itself was, you know, fair. He was the first guy I heard of that had an agent. I was like, really? Yeah, Aspen. I think he ended up burning Jimmy and Halipoff and Kevin. Yeah. That sucks. That's who Sirius works for now. That's who she works for now? Yeah. So did they exactly. team up? Originally they did, and then Sirius started her own agency. Yeah. And then she's been with those guys for like four or five years now. Pretty competitive these days. Ninja Jay Isaacs, he works for those guys too. Oh, wow. And he gets his, his athletes are, he's got like Mick Morris and Torstein and all kinds of rippers. Yeah, those kids both rip. You... It's just crazy what kind of money, you know, and how different it is today than it was back then. Do you keep up with it or watch it or does it, how do you feel about it when you see kids that are, you know, signing million dollar contracts for snowboarding? Uh, you know, I don't know really what to think about it. I always kind of judge the people on their personality, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. I, I know Mark a bit from Ninja, and he's a good kid, and he's just so freaking good. It is what it is. It's a totally different world now. People train. They got freaking coaches, trainers. It's a whole, a whole different world. Yeah, did you guys did you guys kind of make fun of the, like, cross-M team and, like, that those kind of people that were training back when you guys were... Jeremy Jones and Hot Day? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, we maybe heckled them a bit, but... I mean, look at where Jeremy's at now. He's yeah. freaking killing it. It seems like people, like there are these power groups, right? Like his TGR is his brothers. You think of the Hatchet brothers and how well Dave Hatchet did in that early 90s, in that era that you were uh, yeah. dominating in. It's funny because I remember I would, I would maybe be like a little bit more judgy on Dave's parts because I'm like, your brother is making the fucking movie. That's not fair. And you're riding hard boots. And I, I remember, like, kind of being down on him at the time. Uh-huh. And now I go back and watch his parts, and I'm like, holy shit. He was legitimately, like, mind-blowing. Oh, those guys are classic. Both the hatchets. Mike actually lives in the house up in Tahoe. And, I've, you know, Dave I used to hang out with. And we'd go to Max Down Camp and surf in Baja for a month at a time back, like, in the 90s in the summertime. Dave's hilarious. He's, they're so technical and... Everything they do is very technical. Dave can talk for hours on, like, one little thing. Yeah, he was, Dave's uh, Men in Hall Towers is just amazing for, you know, for the time. Doesn't and the way he described it, I was receiving some negative feedback on the line. But Salaz, back in the day, I mean, his, his parts, especially the Alaska stuff, he was a true, like, uh, perfectionist, or, yeah. you know, he really knew what he wanted, had a goal, and did not want any, you know, no freaking ugly slapping or bad style. And he would be the first person to rip, you know, rip on himself. 
Did you skate with him a bit? Oh, yeah. Skated with, like, him down in Sack at the park down there. I mean, I had some sessions with, like, Slaz, Roach, Tim Moran, and Palm. You know, and then we'd skate a little bit while competing and stuff. I remember skating out in uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. They had a park. I think Denver had a park. So going out and competing at Breckenridge and then going skating. And then Tahoe had a vert ramp for a while. He was such a – I mean, the fact that he had a pro model skating – and was such a good snowboarder, it just doesn't happen. I mean, you had Cardiel, who's just the sickest skater ever, but he was not nothing close to what Slaz was on the hill. Right. No, it's fucking funny. You know, I, I just dealing with his death and all that, um, you know, and then talking to him and hanging out with him, because I didn't see him for a while. I mean, he, he went dark and kind of deep for, for 10 years or so down in Grass Valley. And so I hadn't seen him in a long time. I'd talk to him on the phone periodically, but he was pretty out there when I'd talk to him on the phone. But seeing him this last year or so, I'm just hearing about the fucker was so witty. I mean, there's nobody better to talk to about, you know, his, his snowboarding or skating or him talking shit. The guy was just fucking hilarious. Yeah, I heard you. Do you happen to get an interview with him before you? I uh, I was trying with Dave, and so Dave would say, oh, yeah. you know what, when he's lucid, I'll get him on the phone with you. <laughs> let's do this when he's lucid. And then and eventually Dave was like, it's not worth it. It wouldn't represent Salaz. Yeah, uh, no, he was he was hurting both physically and mentally in the, in the end there. He was influential on everybody. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's a fucking perfectionist with a goal, that's for sure. All about style. Yeah. Smoking weed the whole time. Nice. Had a freaking pipe like glued to his hand. <laughs> the passing of Noah Salaznik impacted the snowboard community hard. The current incarnation of Sim Snowboards built Salaznik reissues to help raise money to help with Noah's medical bills. And the outpouring of love and compassion for Noah was really inspiring. I'm working on a simple Salaz tribute, but. For now, I'm going to call for a moment of silence to remember snowboarding's all-time skate-influenced ripper, Noah Selaznik. Mount Baker Hardcore, I freaking love the idea of that. You know, because that, that's like the only time I've ever heard of where it's like the old guys slapping around the, the young guys and where you got like a pecking order on the hill, kind of like surfing was. Well, didn't you and guys kind of have that a little in Tahoe? Nah, not, not like there, you know, because they're such a small mountain, you know, it was just that one lodge in the beginning and it was like Carter, Turk, Jenko, Fulton, Dano, Bass, and Loeb. Bass and Loeb were kind of the younger guys and then you got Ranky and yeah. the Techs coming in and I can Ranky just getting beat up and pissed on. I, I love that idea. There's a pecking order and there's respect. And if you don't get it, you get fucking beat and you got to earn it. Yeah, I was talking with PD from Skull Skates. He said it's like a hazing or something, you know? Yeah, no, that's a good point. Because, like, where I grew up on the vert ramp, you know, we were just the groms or the punks coming up. And, yeah, the old guys. Nowadays, I go skate this park right here, and I got 12, 14-year-old girls just trying to snake you all the time. All these little kids just thinking they're hot shit. Granted, they freaking rip. But, I mean, every once in a while, you just want to drop in and take one out just to be like, hey, fucking, I'm a 180-pound man. Don't <laughs> keep 
better watch out. Like you pay your respects. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You couldn't just show up at somebody's ramp because a it's their house, and then b yeah, there's yeah. already a bunch of guys that are they don't know who you are. But definitely, if you were like a snake, never yeah. fall and almost fall, but then just pick it up and keep going. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, it's funny because out here the all the skate parks are covered in scooter kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got them here, not so bad though. But I, I imagine that's what skiers felt like when snowboarders showed up. Yeah, we, we freaking saved the ski industry. Yeah, totally. I got a soccer game to go to, so I got to put my parenting time in right now. Yeah, me too. The only thing I didn't ask about was the ARA. Was that you? Did you start that? Oh yeah. That's yours. At that time it was the Aryan Regular Foot Army. Oh, God. Which is not too politically correct, especially at this day and age of our fucking horrid yeah. president and our Nazis and all that shit, which I could go off on. But yeah, it was around ninety one maybe. You know, originally it was just kind of shit talking and then if you see the movie Run Man sixty nine, they they talk about how the it's a surf movie. Have you ever seen that one? I haven't, no. It's like a local Malibu fighting, you know, locals taking dumps on people from people's cars, and, you know, that show up and they talk about how the goofy footers are the inferior breed. Oh, wow. Because uh, I remember being in New Zealand in 91 with Dan Donnelly, yep. who's a proud regular footer, and we we're pretty staunch supporters, and Adam Merriman. Yeah, we had stickers and shirts and. Oh my god! And all that? Are you goofy? You're regular. I'm goofy, so I was always. Like, <laughs> uh. You better go talk to Parada because he is the uh, founder of the grit burning goofies. You know the sitting smoking goofies. Yeah, that's so much fun. Yeah. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me, Andy. Take care of those. Cool. Boys. Yeah. Happy to talk to you. It was good talking to you. Yeah, it was so fun, bro. Thanks. Bro. All right. Yeah. Huge thank you to Andy Hetzel for doing that interview. Effin' Rad shoutouts this week, starting with Adam O'Connor, who left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and got himself some van swag, thanks to Mike Strato from Vans Canada. You can get yourself some van stuff, too. If you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, you may as well go do it right now. Special thanks to Crystal from Intuition Liners. Those are the liners that come in the 32 boots. They're heat moldable. They were invented in Vancouver in the early 90s. I've been rocking them ever since. I've got a pair right now that are at least three seasons old, and I'm getting close to 100 days a season. They're not bagged out. I love them. When I get new shells, I huck the old liners and put these ones in. I have foot issues, and this solves it. So if you've got problems with your feet, get a pair of 32 boots with Intuition liners and make sure they're heat molded properly. Or go to intuition.com, name drop Crystal. She's the best, and she'll give you a deal. Also, thank you to all of our listeners who gave us such positive feedback on last week's episode. I love you guys. Keep listening. Make sure to come back next week for another episode of the F and Red Snowboarding Podcast. Brought to you by BR Productions.